Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. It's such a joy to get to be with you today and to share what God is doing in this place. I want to get right to the Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I just want to I just want to share with you today we're going to I, I love all this signage that you have. I love those faces that were there because people matter to God. That's a part of what you are here at the assembly and you want to be a catalyst to change that. And I think that's such an important phrase that you understand that people matter to God. And today, I want us to look at one of these, open your eyes, I, or open our eyes. I didn't, I didn't have them put these here. I came in this morning and I saw it, because I want to talk to you about one of these, and I want to contrast it with one on this side. I want to talk to you about the schemes of the enemy today. And I want you to know that I didn't come here because I believe there's scheming that is present at the assembly. I came here because... For the past month, I've been studying your church. I've been a long-term fan of Greg and Megan Sanders. A long-time fan. Uh, I remember the very first Sunday we came back to Camden. Camden is the town. Uh, It's 100 miles south of Little Rock. And by the way, I presently live in Florida, so yesterday was a great day for me. It was a great day. Every Saturday, I root for two college teams, the Razorbacks and whoever's playing Michigan, because my, my in-laws are from Michigan, so anybody that could beat them. It's not going so well this year on Saturdays for me. A couple of weeks ago, it was so bad I found rugby to watch. That's how bad the Razorbacks and whoever Michigan was playing that day was. So, but the Lions are doing better, so <laughs> there's one Lion fan here. I want to tell you something. This guy needs to be put in leadership. There's not a more resilient person in the room than this man right here. Because a few years ago when Tom Brady came to Tampa Bay, I publicly renounced the Detroit Lions and became a Buccaneers fan, and it worked. I was on a winning team for the first time. The poor Lions haven't even been to a playoff game in 20 years. So, brother, what's your name? Uh, Trevor. Trevor? God bless you. (laughs) Oh, that's just painful, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I I tell you, we used to say about the Lions, they could show you a different way to lose every week. (laughs) That was... They have a phrase in Michigan, same old Lions. That, that's what they say. And uh, a couple of weeks ago when they played Baltimore, everybody started saying same old Lions again. It was a very interesting thing. But I want to talk to you, and, and some people say you should never talk about the devil. Well, that's like trying to ignore something and hope that it goes away. If you just ignore something and hope that it goes away, it can sneak up on you and it can hurt you, right? But on this side, we have a sign that says, open our eyes to the power of God in us. And so we're going to talk about a scheme of the devil today that comes against the church, but then we want to see that it's the power of God in us that defeats the enemy, and we know that that's true. And we want to look at that today. And so I want to look at the book of Ephesians. And specifically, we're going to look at a few verses in this chapter. Ephesians 4, chapter 1 through 16 is where we're going to start. And so while you're getting there, I just want to say a shout out. I've got about 40 people from Togo to uh, Ghana, all the way in Michigan, New York, Montana, Utah, that are praying and watching and participating. People in Michigan, people in Florida. My wife wished she could be here. I wish she was here because uh, she is the definition of a better half. She really is. 
And uh, I, I just love her so much, and she's been my best friend for 39 years. It'll be 40 years next year. And I'm thankful for her. But I want to talk to you today about unity. Now, unity is not some state of perfection where we have attained something. Unity is an active word. It's a word that talks about coming together. The idea is that you take multiple entities, or in the case of people, you take multiple people and you make them one. Two hands coming together and pushing into one another. If it was physically possible, the idea of unity is pushing so intentionally that those two hands would become one. The last prayer that we have recorded is in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 17, Jesus mentioned the enemy. He talked to His Father and He said, you have given Me this group of people and I want you to protect them because I'm not going to be with them in the same way. And I want you to protect them from the evil one, He said. Because I want you to know that that the evil one, you can call him Satan, you can call him the devil, please don't call him by the name of a family member, but you can call him out because the first thing that we know anything of Satan is this, he brought division in heaven. The next thing we know about him is he brought division on the earth between God and his creation. He is divisive. He wants to take this and He wants to pull it apart. And Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. He made this declaration. Even though I've become a man, fully man, you and I are one. And I want all those that you have given me to become one with us. In other words, God brought His kingdom back to the way it was intended in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve when He said that a man will leave his wife, they will cleave together and become one flesh. Jesus not only prayed for the apostles, but in John chapter 17, he prayed for all of those who would believe in him that they could become one. Now, the letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote from prison. We know from the content of the letter that a lot of the people who would be hearing these words had never met Paul personally. They knew who he was. They some of them probably questioned his authority because he was in a Roman prison. You know, preachers don't get a lot of accolades when they're in jail. Nobody says, well, man, he must be doing something right. No, they, they say something like, I wonder what he did wrong. We're talking about people that had never experienced Paul's ministry, but he's writing to them, and in some of the earliest uh, manuscripts, the, the direction of the Ephesians is not actually there. This letter was probably a circular letter that went through the Roman Empire, and in later manuscripts, whoever was uh, copying that probably said, this is going to Ephesus, and, and so they would add that qualification to it. It's a very brief exposition on this idea that God wanted heaven 
and earth to be reconciled to himself, that his creation would be reconciled so that when Jesus was praying, make them one the way you and I are one. There's nothing that can pull us apart, nothing that can separate God the Father from the Son, even though he had become fully man, nothing could pull that apart. He said, I want everyone who believes in me to come into that and to be one. And so Paul is writing a letter, a circular letter that is to go out to demonstrate that what Jesus did, the Father recognized, and you go back and and he calls it, Paul calls it the mystery of the gospel in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he talks about Christ being raised up in the authority so that that name, the name of Jesus, is the most important name that you could ever speak. When we sing that name, those just aren't words on the screen. It's not magic. What we're talking about is authority from God in the name of Jesus. And he said, he said there that heaven... And earth is being reconciled. If you can think of this, it's like two entities are coming together in unity. There is a unification that is happening between the kingdom of God and the earth. And it's pushing its way together. And you and I are living smack dab in that intersection right now. You and I are living in that space That heaven is on earth right now. And God is bringing it all together. And I don't know about you, but it looks like we're coming to a total eclipse. It feels like it's getting closer and closer to being fully done. And I want you to know that I think the enemy knows it too. And I think the enemy is trying to break down unity in the church. In chapter 3, Paul declared in chapter 3, verse 10, that right now, in this age that you and I are living in, God has chosen to show the glory of who He is through the church. Now, who's he wanting to show this to? He wants to show it, it says, to the spiritual powers and in spiritual realms. He's wanting to demonstrate that the very dirt of the earth that is the domain that Satan is losing, that God breathed life into in the garden, that God is taking that very dirt and he is bringing heaven and earth back together. And Satan wants to defeat that. And so in chapter 4, Paul calls for unity. We're going to put it on the screen, but before we do, I want you to say three words. When you leave today, I want you to get these words because I want you to apply them to unity. The first word is Jesus. The second word is the lost. The third word is the church. And I want you to say it with me. Jesus. Let's start over. You weren't ready. Jesus. The lost and the church. We're going to talk about that. Now, let's read Ephesians 4. Give me just a little patience as I just share a little bit of commentary as we go through the scripture. Verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. And I want to pause right here and I want to say this. The churches that are making a difference in the world right now are led by leaders who believe everyone that comes to their church has a calling of God upon their life. And so preachers, sometimes you come into a church like that and you think, man, there must be other preachers in here because that guy is preaching to preachers. Well, I'm not preaching to just Greg. Now, I'm going to preach at him, but... I. I'm not just preaching him. I believe every one of you have a calling and your vocation does not define that calling. Jesus defines that calling. You might be an engineer. You might be a doctor. You might be a lawyer. But you have a calling upon your life. You say a lawyer can have a calling from God on their lives? Do we got any lawyers in the room? One of my best friends is a lawyer. He's my lawyer. 
And I pray for him every day. You know why? Because he sees the lost on a daily basis, and he believes he's called to pastor those people into a relationship with Christ, whether they end up sentenced to jail or whether they're innocent. And I want to tell you, he carries a burden for them, and I have to help him carry that burden because I care about my friend who's a lawyer, but he's got a calling from God upon his life. You might be in construction. You might be an administrator. Whatever you are, you might be a school teacher. I can't think of anything that would, right now is one of the most important callings of all. You might be a judge. I'm going to tell you, there's a book in the Bible named after you. Whoever you are, whatever you do, students who are sitting right here and you're in school and you're like, I don't want to work. I don't either. I I'm going to tell you something. I've worked enough. And we need you to go to work so you can pay for my Social Security. <laughs> it's really important to me. I need you to make a lot of money so you can pay a lot of taxes. But students... I want you to know something. You might be good in math. You might be good in sciences or history. Or I got one on the front row going, nope, you ain't hit it yet. <laughs> you might be good at boys. <laughs> no? <laughs> Still learning that one. Just give up on it, honey. <laughs> Paul said it's better to be single. So. <laughs> but I want you to know something. It's not school that defines you. It's not A's and B's or D's and F's that define you. But it's God. And your life in Jesus Christ that defines you. And nobody can bring unity into that school. I'm not talking about, oh, we're all for the football team. I'm talking about heaven and earth. No, nobody can bring unity into your school but those who are called by God to bring unity into that school. Wow, we could quit right there, but I got to earn the money that you're paying me today. <laughs> Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Do you get that one right all the time? Did somebody say yes? Because I'm going to give them the Bible and let them come preach the rest of this. Listen, you need to understand that sanctification, growing in your faith in Christ. I don't care if this is your first time today and you're like, I need my life to change. I need it to turn around. You need to understand that there's an action of coming together. It's coming as a unity. You're separated from God. But as soon as you claim the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's bringing you together. You're not always going to be humble. You're not always going to be patient. You're not always going to be gentle. But I want you to know that that that's what you're working for, to come to that so that it can make a difference and you can become one with the church and with God. Verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles 
some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All right, let's do the three words again, because I think some of you have already forgotten them. Jesus, the lost, the church. I want to put an image up here, and I want to ask you, just, uh, you can shout out, what's the first thing you see when they plop this image on the screen? See an egg. But let's, Drill down, let's get a little more specific. I'm a visual learner. I, need, I want you to remember this. We're not, we're not here to study eggology today, but it's fascinating. It really is, but I like eggs. And I think there's certain ways they should be done, and this is the way eggs should be prepared. Oh, my goodness. I could spend 15 minutes winning this case. The, I agree that scrambled eggs has its place if you're feeding the Air Force Base. That's a lot of people to feed, right? Yeah. If all the kids come over, yeah, scramble the eggs, because it takes a while to do it right. As a matter of fact, I think a fried egg is the best egg, and a sunny side egg is the absolute best way, but so many people are not patient enough to know how to cook a, a sunny side egg. So they fry it. You need to take home economics. I know they don't teach it anymore, but yeah, that's what you need. So, but the yolk, the yolk is the most important part of the egg. If you take the yolk away, it's not very important, is it? And some of you say, well, my doctor says that you know, I should only eat the whites. What your doctor's not telling you, it's not the yolk that's killing you, it's the bacon that you're eating with your egg whites that's killing you. That's what you ought to give up. And the pizza on Friday night. And Do you know that when a chick is born, that every yolk that that chicken will produce is in that chicken's body the moment it is born. <laughs> I love when the youth are on the front row. They're just so real. Like, that's gross. Can we move on from eggology? But a chicken can produce, on average, 250 eggs in its lifetime. Some chickens sometimes can produce two eggs a day, but depending on light and the food and, and all these variables, a, a chicken usually will produce an egg a day, and when they quit producing, you ought to fry them. I believe in fried foods. I think that fried foods are wonderful. I'm so happy to be back in Arkansas. And I know there's other ways, and I agree. I think omelets have their place, but let's be honest about it. If you didn't have the bacon and the ham and the cheese and the peppers and the onions and the mushrooms and if you didn't it's like pizza without a crust I mean that's what it is so it's like pizza for I love pizza for breakfast and I don't even know what a quiche and a souffle is I grew up in Arkansas we don't we don't cook French stuff if it's French I don't know what it is some of you ladies think we're going to have a lady's breakfast, and we're going to have quiche. But at a man's breakfast, we're going to have fried eggs. <laughs> you notice the egg, but look at this next image. What good is an egg if you crack it on your kitchen counter? It's nasty. I know because it happens to me sometimes. And I look at it and I go, what in the world just happened? And I have to take the skillet and I have to rake it into the skillet. And you say, that's gross. Well, you ought, it's not gross. You should clean your counters. 
why is that any different than the pan if you wash it? Some of you are growing up. You need to understand what Clorox bleach is for crying out loud. I'm going to tell you what's happening in education to our kids. But you're called. You're called. Now, I want you to think about the fried egg today because I want you to remember three words. Jesus, the lost, and the church. Because this right here is necessary to fry the egg. Nothing's more important than the yolk. Without the yolk, there wouldn't be chickens. Without the yolk, there wouldn't be eggs. I want you to know something. Without Jesus Christ, none of this would matter. We might as well go to a concert. And by the way, I'm going to tell you, Megan, her voice and all the people that are with her, I've been watching online. I, I remember the first time I came to that church in Camden, and I didn't know who these two kids were. And all of a sudden, she started playing and singing, and I was like, God, this is heaven. This is heaven. She's powerful. That's one of your values is to worship. And God gave you that gift. But if Jesus wasn't in it, what's the point? And the mission, the mission delivers. The mission gives us our purpose. But you are an important part the church. But if there's not an egg in the skillet, this can become a weapon. I went to Walmart last night and bought this. Greg said that he wanted his wife to start cooking more. Oh, I, I, I thought... When we talked on the phone and we were writing down, oh, you didn't want me to, you wanted me to just pray about, isn't that crazy how people ask you to pray about something and you open your mouth and it, it's like, you know, between you and the Lord, right? So, so I'm coming out of Walmart with my brother and uh, we walked by and there's a lady sitting there. I don't know what she was waiting on, but she was just sitting on the bench and she goes, that's a fine skillet. And I said, yes, it's good. And she goes... That, that skillet can fry chicken. And I was like, I love Arkansas. <laughs> she said, are you going to go fry chicken? And I said, no, I bought it for a weapon. And she goes, what? I said, yeah, I know a couple of deacons that I need to go talk to. I'm just being real. I mean, come on, hadn't you ever wanted somebody to get hit over the head with a good cast iron skillet? If you haven't felt that, you're not being real. I need you to be real. But you need to understand something. Jesus never hurts anybody. Now, you may think that Jesus has tried to hurt you, but that's not true. As a matter of fact, you may have had incidents or circumstances or situations in your life where you feel like God was against you, but I want you to know that He's working all things together for your good. That no matter what's happening to you, it, it, may, it may hurt you deeply and you're going to have to grieve hurts because in this world, that's going to happen. People will hurt you. But you got to keep loving. The mission. Can the mission hurt you? Yeah, it can hurt you. It got all the apostles killed. It got John tortured and put on the island of Patmos. The mission can destroy your life. That's why Paul would write his long letter to the Romans and say that we are living sacrifices. The problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. We need to be crawling back on there and say, God, take my life. Use it ever how you want to. Whatever you want to do to me, do it. And if it's to put the knife in me and end it, 
Paul would say, to die is gain. But if he says, no, i got one more thing for you to do, then you get up off that altar and go do it in the power of God that resides in you. You never hear about people talking about God hurting them. You really don't hear that much talk about the mission hurting you, but you do hear about the church hurting people. And it's because we are working to become one. We are unifying. We're we're trying to keep the bond of peace. We're trying to come together and sometimes we miss it. But this is why this message is so important. The number one thing in the church must always be Jesus Christ. He has to be the center of all things. He has to be the Lord of the church. I want you to know, I love your pastor. He he doesn't know the gift that he's in has been in my life. He doesn't know the phone call that he gave me just a couple of months ago. He doesn't know what that means to me right now. Because I've been through hell and back in the last 12 months. This time last year... Because of a medicine, I had a complete mental breakdown. Forty plus years in vocational ministry, I couldn't open an egg carton. I couldn't open the Tylenol bottle. I lost my phone. I I thought somebody was trying to kill me. I would go shopping at the grocery store. I'd get halfway through and an anxiety attack would come over me and I'd begin to panic and I'd begin dodging little old ladies in their shopping carts because I, I thought one of them was going to kill me. I lost my mind. In the midst of all of that, we had moved my in-laws as my mother-in-law was terminal. We moved them from Michigan to Florida so that we could care for them. So my wife not only is taking care of her mom and her dad, but now her husband can't function. It was a drug-induced mental breakdown. My therapist, my psychotherapist who's a Christian, said you have to take a six-month leave of absence. And in that six-month leave of absence, if you don't do this, you are in risk of dying. Before we discovered that the medicine was causing this, I began to, uh, I was having tormenting death dreams that were coming to me. I would take this weekly shot, and two nights later, on the clock, I would have dreams about loved ones being killed. I began to have death ideation. I was progressing, though I never was suicidal had I not come off the medicine. I've been told that I would have began planning my own death. I can tell you that I wished I was dead. As soon as I came off the medicine, it took about four weeks for it to clear my system. I became healthy again. My mother-in-law began. We had to bring hospice in. It was the final days. And on the weekend that she passed away, I was called in and I lost my job. Do you see why I love my wife so much? She's already, the reason she's not with me this weekend is because she's already got a job to help us. I thought my years of standing in front of people were over. And then your pastor calls me. He says, I've been thinking, he didn't know what was going on. He, I mean, you don't, you, you, know, you don't get on Facebook and go, I had a mental breakdown. You know, you you don't publish that. Some of you are here and you have fought mental illness. Some of you have faced challenges. Some of you are facing physical things that may be working against you and trying to pull you down. I want you to know that it's very important that in those moments you come together with the people who love you, 
Because the enemy will take sickness, he'll take mental illness, he'll take job loss, he'll take the death of a loved one, he'll take the loss of a relationship, he'll take failure, and what he'll do is he'll begin to take that to do this to you. This church is blowing doors. Great things are happening at this church, but I want you to know something the enemy notices. And the enemy wants to come against the church, but if you keep your eyes on Jesus, if he is the heart of all things, no matter what happens around you, if you'll keep your heart and eyes on Jesus, you always have that anchor that we sang about, that your life can be built on that foundation. The second most important thing, and I'm going to uh, get away from the skillet, put this next slide up. I only used the skillet and the eggs so that you would remember this. The next important thing is the mission, the lost. Jesus is the most important, but what did Jesus command us to do? To reach the lost. In Luke chapter 19, Verse 10, Zacchaeus gets saved. Just being in the presence of Jesus changed his life. He was a tax collector. I love, Luke said it many times, Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors. You know what that says to me? Tax collectors are worse than sinners. I'm sorry if the county assessor's here. I'm just kidding. Jesus loved tax collectors. That was the most important thing to him. And and I want you to know, you, you need to see this, that every person does matter to God. It's not that people matter to God. Every person matters to God. One of the most primary needs of a child is to be seen. We understand that a kid, so why is it that before a kid can turn one years old, that they know they want to play peekaboo? They don't know how to play peekaboo. My little grandson, this is how he played peekaboo. He'd just look away because when he looked back, he wanted to see if your eyes would meet his eyes. And so we just would say, peekaboo, and he'd do that, and then he'd turn back. And now it's hide and seek. Why? Because it tells them, as a baby, the neurons are being wired in their brain to say they're significant. Every person. So in Luke 15, Jesus would share these three parables about ten coins, one being lost. But when that, when that woman found that coin, what did she do? She celebrated. Why? Because that coin was important to her. And Jesus would say, that's the way it is in heaven. When one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. A hundred sheep, but one is lost. What does that shepherd do? He doesn't hang out in the skillet. He goes after that sheep, and when he brings it back, he celebrates. Two sons. Jesus cares. He he didn't just walk the earth and heal people. He saw people. It started in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. You remember they hid from God. What happened in that moment? God came down into the garden and said, Where are you? Because He wanted them to know that that relationship was the most important thing. So when he's going, he, when, when they would bring a prostitute to him and throw her down and say, we ought to stone her, he disperses the crowd with his wisdom and then he gets down on the ground and he looks her in the eye. Why? Because he wants her to know, I see you. And I'm going to tell you something. You can judge sinners, you can look at them, but the scripture says not to. We're to hate sin, but we're to love sinners. You say, well, how do you do that? Stop looking at the sin and see the person. 
You're here today if you've got an addiction in your life. You're secretly drinking or you've got drug addiction in your life or maybe you're addicted to pornography and you're, you're doing things and you're like, I can't get over that. I want you to know that the shame of that is holding you down. But when God looks at you, He is not the one looking at you in shame. He's the one that wants to look at you in love. He wants to see you. And everybody that's in here that has some addiction or some struggle that is in their lives, it's a besetting sin that they can't seem to get free of. I want you to know the sin is just the symptom to tell you there's something deeper in your life that needs to be dealt with. And maybe, I don't know what that was. It could have been any kind of trauma. But I want you to know God wants to redeem you for His glory. You're not lost. You just don't realize that he's on the other side of the door and he's saying, I'm looking for you. And he's knocking. My little grandkids, they're not even two yet. I got a boy and a girl. They're four weeks apart. They've learned how to open and close doors. My little grandson will go in a dark room, close the door, and he wants me to position myself where he can't see me so that when he comes through that door, I jump out and go, ah! And he just laughs so hard and he runs back into the dark room and closes the door. As soon as my granddaughter's in the dark room and closing the door, she is crying. She's like, come get me right now. God wants to come through the door for you. He's not judging you. Your sin was judged on a cross that Jesus died on. I want to close by talking about this scheme of the devil to bring disunity into the church. In the story of Acts, we see that there was an outward attack. Persecution came against the church, but there was also an internal attack. We know that the church was, I mean, it was pumped up, right? It was, it was going. On the day of Pentecost, when the church began, 120 people in a room, the Holy Spirit comes, and the Bible says 10,000 were added to the church. And some of you are saying, I wish that would happen today. Will you, will you just back up from the assembly for a minute and realize that there's one church? Do you know that in the United States today, there are 300,000, give or take, evangelical churches? You say, what does that mean, Pastor? What's an evangelical church? Well, we didn't talk about poached eggs. But you're in an evangelical Pentecostal church. The Holy Spirit is represented by fire and oil. And I, you don't fry eggs without some oil or some heat. And I'm going to tell you something. Poached eggs are of the devil. No, they're not. No, they're not. There's some good, there's some good churches out there. They just don't believe the Spirit is present. They don't, they, they don't think they need the Spirit anymore. But I want you to know something. The Spirit's the third person of the Trinity. And that's where your power is showing up right now. That's where the heat comes on at the right time. And that's when the oil begins to work. So that you can do what the church was meant to do. And accomplish your mission. And so it's very important that we understand that right now, there's 300,000 evangelical churches in the U.S. What if one person, and one's important, got saved in every one of those churches today? That would be 300,000 added to the church. You see, God didn't intend for it just to hang out in Jerusalem. That wasn't the mission. And every one of those matter to God. 
It's a powerful thing to think about. But the church faced some things. Ananias and Sapphira, the church is going great. It's meeting in the, in the synagogue. It's meeting in their homes. The church is being the church. And they're, they, they're raising money. They need to raise some money. I, man, I love the kingdom builder stuff. That is just powerful stuff. I love that you're trying to do more faster because I think we're running out of time. And so what happens? Ananias and Sapphira, they lie. You see, one of the things that happens, this is in the church. These are people who have confessed Christ. But they come in and they tell a lie. And what happens? They die. Why? Because right at the very inception of the church, there's a threat that shows up on the inside. It's got to be removed. People all the time want to come and they want to say something about the church. Oh, if it was this or it was that. That doesn't happen here, but it's happening at some church in Cabot, I promise you. I've been a pastor a long time. People start complaining about stuff. I got to the point where when they would start complaining about something, I'd start doing this. And the faster they walked toward me, the faster I walked back. And they'd stop and they'd go, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I read this week in the story of the Exodus that when the people were coming to Moses and complaining, the earth opened up and swallowed them. I've been praying that. They're like, Pastor, that's not very nice. I said, neither is complaining. If there's something you don't like, Fix it. It's bugging you more than it's bugging anybody else. Let's flip it. Let's talk about the good stuff. Do you know A.W. Tozer said that every human being has 10,000 thoughts a day about themselves. We're all narcissists. Think about that for a minute. If we were to say, okay, we need an idea to do ministry, there's 400 people in here. There'd be a thou- Every one of you could come up with a thousand ideas. Now, I know some of them would overlap, but think about that. There could be like 250 to 300,000. And can I tell you something? Some of them would be good ideas. Do you think that this church has the capacity to enact 250 good ideas? No. Well, let's boil it down then. You know, the leadership's going to meet tonight, and maybe we could come up with, we could maybe take 250,000 ideas, we could get it down to 100. Do you think this church has the capacity to do 100 ideas in the next 12 months? No. What we're talking about is how you serve your community. Now, I'm from Arkansas. I'm a big fan of Golden Corral. Big fan. But I don't eat the steak there. Greg will tell you where I eat my steak. I'm going there Tuesday night. My dad. You can either serve good and well, or you can be a buffet where people just kind of belly up to the old Jesus trough and hope they get something. I'm going to tell you something. I don't even want ten good ideas. I want one God idea. Jesus is the head of the church. And if you let Jesus be the head of the church, and you let him decide, this is what Cabot, the assembly, is going to do. This is what's happening. But if you say, you know what, Pastor, I, you know, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I think we ought to do this. What are you doing? You're, you're pulling the church apart and the enemy wins do you know that the enemy can win even in your good stuff well we're past time for the sake of the children's workers i want to end with this i hope you'll go to ephesians and take a look at this but in ephesians 521 it says submit to one another out of reverence for christ 
Submit to one another. Now, after that, it says a lot. You see, we, we keep going back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and we put this in the perspective of marriage, and Paul addresses it, right? Right after he says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, he then starts to break it down, but somehow we only preach about husbands and wives. And depending on who's preaching, one of us gets a raw deal out of that. That's not Paul's intention. Paul wants you to submit. What he's saying is, is do this. Push into each other. Come together. Your marriage is an example of what the church should be. If God is bringing heaven and earth together, then churches need to be coming together and marriages need to be coming together. And I'm not telling, you might be going through something. Maybe your spouse is ill. You need to push together in that moment. Maybe you haven't been very kind to each other. You haven't been patient with each other. You haven't been gentle with each other and the devil is pulling you apart. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If he's doing that to your marriage, it can impact your church. And your job is to do this. And if you need to get counseling, go get counseling. But you've got to be working unity in the marriage. Then he talks about parents and children. And kids. If you are doing this with your parents... You're not honoring God or them. You need to be pushing into your parents. You say they don't get it right. You don't understand. I'm going to tell you there's not a parent on the face of the earth that's ever got it right 100% of the time. All the parents are clapping. It's just like when you preach on, you know, women submit to the church. The men are like, yeah, pastor, preach that. Or when, the, you know, when, when the pastor says Men, you got to give up your lives for your wife. And the wife, yeah, preach that. The parents are like, yeah, that's good. Tell my kids. Do you know what Paul says right after he says that? Parents, don't exasperate your kids. That's awesome. But it doesn't stop there. In our context today, in in the Roman Empire, the context, he he talked about uh, slaves and their their owners. It doesn't fit our context today, thank God. In our context, we'd put it like this. Employers and employees. Employees. Don't pull away from your boss. They may not even be Christians. But when you think you can do it better, or you think if I was running this company, or, or that, what you're doing is, is you're bringing dissension. That's an act of the enemy. Employers, treat your employees fair. What would happen in the workplace if employers and employees were coming together in unity, I'm going to tell you the companies that are knocking it out of the park are becoming one between worker and employee. And I, can I tell you, there's not a place in our world right now where there's not division. There's division in Washington. They just, you know, there's division in Hollywood. There's division in Detroit. They may have just signed a deal, but... I'm going to tell you, there's still division that remains there. There's division in Israel. And some of you go, I'm for the Jews. I understand that too. But do you know I have some friends who are Palestinians and they are Christians. And they might have a different view. What am I supposed to do in that moment? Well, I'm for Israel. No, I'm called to this. Because those Palestinians matter to God. And the Jewish people matter to God. Do you understand? We are not wrestling against flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter 6. 
but against principalities and powers. In the day, the scripture says this, Ephesians 6, in the day of evil. You got a great church, but you got to keep it that way. Protect your heart and keep coming together. I want, if you're here, to, let's all stand. I don't, I don't like to single out. I, I just, for a quick moment, I'm sorry, I have gone over. I promised Greg I wouldn't do this. It's not his fault. He won't have me back. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> for every minute I go over, he takes $100 off my honorarium. If that was true, I would have preached five minutes and had him, had him add more money, but... If you're here right now and there's an area of your life that's doing this, I'm going to pray for you. If you're here right now and your marriage is great, I want you to know something. The enemy doesn't want it to be great. He'll come against you, but you have the power of God working in you. You may, your marriage may be the best it's ever been. I want to tell you something. Mine is right now. With what we've been through this past year, it's the best it has ever been in 39 years. Because it has forced us to do this more. If you've got problems with your kids, grown kids, kids at home, I want you to walk home with this. Jesus has to become the most important thing. If you got problems at work, you got to do this. So right now, I want you, if husbands and wives, even if you fought all the way to church today, I want you to take their hand because you got to start doing the right things when you can, and right now you can. Kids, I'm, not, I'm just going to come at you one more time, okay? Unless Bethany invites me to come to youth group, then I'm going to come at you hard. If, if there's something doing this between you and your parents and they're here, you need to go to them right now and you need to join hands with them right now. It's okay because it happens. You got something at work, I want you to visualize this. I want to pray over you right now. As your pastor comes, Jesus, you are the shepherd of this church. You're the head of this church. You're the head of every marriage. You're the head of every relationship. You're the head of every worker that needs to go out and bring unity in a divided space. And we just take our stand as Ephesians 6 tells us to. We put on the armor of God and we take our stand and we're just going to stand firm and we're going to press into who you are that your name would be lifted up in the earth and that we could be a part, doing our part as the church to reach the lost for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's really simple. It's as simple as ABC. You need to admit that you have sin in your life, that you have a separation. We've all done that. You need to believe that Jesus sees you, that he died on the cross for your sins, and you must confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if that's you today, I just want you to say that to God. I just want you to say, God, I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died for me. And I confess that I need you in my life as my Lord and Savior. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something for me as your pastor comes and closes. And again, I, I sincerely apologize for going over. But I haven't preached in a year. Um, so I, we did pretty good. I'm going to put a picture up here. I, I can't disciple all of you. And you know what? Your pastor can't disciple all of you. You need groups. You need people in your life. But this is an app done by John Eldridge and if you'll go to your app store right now, I want you to download this free app. It's called the One Minute Pause. 30 days 
two times. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, you just play the program, and it'll, it'll, keep, it'll, it'll take you through it. Now, the first week, you're going to go, that, that dude's weird if he wants me to listen to this. But here's your issue. The world is going to come at you, and even if you're at your strongest point of faith, you need to know how to pray because the day of evil is upon us. Young people, you need to do this. There's a message in these 30 days. It's called 30 Days to Resilience. It was done by a, a, a psychologist named John Eldridge, who is a Christian. And there's a message in here, and this is what this app will do for you. My wife and I, we've done it a couple of times. We're getting ready to start it again because this is what has made us do this. It takes you about 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night. There's other apps called the pause. You need to get the one-minute pause, and I encourage you to grow. You'll learn how to pray in the moments where the enemy's coming against you. Thank you. I can't wait to be with your leaders tonight. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.